0: And now part two of Dr. Larry Crabb talking about the church I want to be a part of. As I was sitting at a restaurant this morning and um, looking at what I had to say and revising it as always and praying over it, a couple thoughts occurred to me. First thought that occurred to me this morning was a memory of about 20 years ago. God blessed me with a wonderful mother-in-law. Not too many guys say that, but God did. My mother-in-law was an imperfect woman, as all mothers-in-law are, but she was an imperfect woman of deep virtue. And she was a woman who through very hard times, a very difficult childhood and a number of tragedies in her adult life, a woman who I came to respect very deeply, a woman of very simple wisdom and great, great patience. About 20 years ago, when I was in the middle of a church situation that was very difficult, not unlike what Lookout has been going through these last few weeks and months. When I was in the middle of a very discouraging situation in church, I went to my mother-in-law and said to her, very simply, without any detail, I said, Mother, um, were things better 50 years ago in church? And in her very simple way, she said, Oh no, things have always been hard, and they always will be until we get to the other shore." And then she walked away. And I thought this morning, that's true. There's never been a golden age of the church and never will be until we're home. But let's not stop meeting together. But why? We're always going to get something wrong. How's that for an encouraging beginning to the day? We're always going to get something wrong. We're always going to be failed by others, and we're going to fail others. We're always going to be have moments, at least, when we feel distant from our spouse and irritated with our friends. That's just the real world. That's the way it is, and it will be until the Lord comes. And let me say this. If the day is not approaching, when God's going to burn up everything unholy, and we're going to be living in a home of righteousness, if the day is not coming... Given the way things really are, I suggest we skip church and drink a lot of wine. (laughs) Let me read a few lines from a letter that I received just uh, last Sunday from a good friend, a middle-aged woman who we know, have known well for 20-some years, and her life for the last three or four years has been one disaster after another. And two weeks ago, before the letter I got last Sunday, she had written me another note, me and Rachel, in which she was indicating that some things were going very well in her life after years of difficulty, and she had had three or four specific prayers, and it seemed as if things were falling into place and God was finally answering prayer, and she was writing us to let us know that so we could rejoice with her in the middle of all of her difficulties. And then we get this second note last Sunday and here's a couple lines from it I've never been more confused about God and his dealings with me in my life and I've been pretty confused before I guess I started the week with such hope for newness and everything went wrong I think at some level I felt it was time for something good to come along for me anybody feel that way I feel like I'm on a cosmic roller coaster. Where are those still waters? And then she finishes her letter by saying this. You know what? I'm going to have another glass of wine and go to bed. (laughs) Haven't decided if I'm going to church tomorrow. Don't want to deal with all the questions. I read that note last Sunday after I preached here. And I thought, I wonder what kind of church he might want to go to wonder why she didn't want to go to church. No one asked all the questions, too discouraged. Made me think, when I have a toothache, I better avoid the dentist. Well, wait a minute, that makes no sense. Well, the dentist hurts. Yeah, but there's healing. Huh. What kind of church would this woman want to go to? And a far more important question, what kind of church would God want her to be a part of? And then I thought about my life. My life is much more blessed than hers in so many ways. I've gone through trials we all have, but I really got a pretty blessed life i got a wife of 41 years that I love very much. We're getting along well. She repents. We're doing fine. <laughs> but in the middle of all of my blessings that I have a bag full, I'm still aware of an emptiness that I don't think is going to be satisfied until heaven. And I'm also aware after 55 years of following Jesus that I've got a self-centered energy in me that's very much alive. And many times the way I relate to the people I love the most comes out of my self-centeredness. What kind of church do I want to go to, given that I'm empty and self-centered? What kind of church does she want to go to, given that her life has fallen apart? As I sat in the coffee shop yesterday morning thinking about some of these things, uh, an old old couple sat next to me. Now, The gentleman was um, bald and chubby. The woman was wrinkled and frumpy. How's that for judgmentalism? And when they sat down next to me, I just happened to look over, and he... (laughs) reached out and he put his hand on his wife's thigh, squeezed a little bit and kind of winked at her. And she smiled back. It was prettier than any sunset I've ever seen. I saw beauty. And I found myself thinking, I wonder if I've ever seen real beauty. I've seen little glimpses like that old couple that are in love after many years of being together. And I found my heart praying yesterday morning as I was sitting in that coffee shop, Lord, from 2 Corinthians 4, would you you let light shine into my darkness, my emptiness, my self-centeredness, into my friend's disastrous life? Would you let light shine into our darkness so my heart lights up with the beauty, with the glory of God as I see the face of Christ? And I thought, what would happen if my confused friend and I went to a church, not just a gathering of Christians, but to a church, and we heard the music. And we caught a glimpse of true beauty, a glimpse of another world that right now is full of laughter and song and dance. Could I get a glimpse of that world? What would happen if my friend and I went to a church and we could actually somehow see men and women who in their lives had been every bit as confused as my friend, every bit as troubled as my friend, maybe far worse, every bit as empty and self-centered as me? And now they're laughing and they're singing and they're dancing. What would happen if I could see my dad right now? My last memories of him as a frail old man. What happened if I could see my mother right now? My last memories of her were seven years of Alzheimer's. What could happen if I could see my brother, who died 17 years ago at age 51, as he was working hard to make life work? What happened if I could see them all? I wonder what perspective would change within me. I wonder... If in a church, in a gathering of Christians, with the Word open on our knees, with our hearts turned toward God, if it would be at all possible, I mean, is this really possible or just fanciful rhetoric, that I could actually eavesdrop on the Trinity and hear the Father talking to my confused friend and say, I'm especially fond of her. And then hear the Father look at me and all of my self-centeredness and failures and say, I'm especially fond of him too. And then hear the Son Look at that woman who's so confused and say, isn't she beautiful? She's my bride. And then look at me and say, that's my son, and he's going to soon be with us, fully satisfied and fully holy forever. And then suppose we heard the Spirit say to the father and son, well, those two were really rather hard to work with, but I'm sticking with them, I'm going to finish the job. Folks. When I get back up here again in a few minutes, I really have very little to say to you, but I think the Spirit might have something to say. And I think what he has to say is along these lines, I think he wants to rescue us. From what? I think he wants to rescue us from seeing ourselves and our lives more clearly than we see the Trinity and hear what they're saying to us maybe this morning. Every prayer that you hear is offered in Jesus' name, and so we offer each of our prayers in Jesus' name. And I pray for continual spirit of prayer as I speak, in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder where you are this morning. I think the Lord is working on me to release me from the prison of felt adequacy. He does it in strange ways. This morning I went out for breakfast. I like to go out and sit by myself for an hour or so and reflect on what I'm going to talk about, look at my notes. And as I was getting ready to leave, I spilled a glass of water all over my notes. So it's blurred, folks. So today I might have to actually depend on the Spirit. What do you think of that? (laughs) All right, a round of applause for that one, huh? (laughs) Might be a little different. (laughs) But I want us to begin a little quietly here and very much appreciate the music that's been contemplative. And I want you just to reflect on where you are this morning, what's going on in you as you've come to church. We call this coming to church. Rightly or wrongly, that's what we call it. Where are you? What's, what's going on? Some of you are aware of God's goodness. Your life is full of blessings, you're aware of God's grace, and you're really rejoicing and you're able to worship. Others of you are just really irritated with some people that you just can't stand and they're sitting next to you. Some of you are foolish enough to think that the God might help the giants win today. Others of you are struggling with sexual sin that nobody knows about. And you're living to make sure nobody does. From wherever you are, whether it's me with a blurred bunch of notes, aware of the illusion of of adequacy that is an illusion, wherever you are, I'd like you to reflect on a verse that's in the Psalms that really is a prayer for revival. God meets us where we are, where we really are, not where we pretend to be, not where we should be, not where we wish we were, but where we are. And from wherever you are this morning, I wonder if we can join together in thinking about this verse. God, why not help us make a fresh start from wherever we are? One of the most glorious things about the gospel is from wherever you are, no matter what your failures this past week, no matter what grudges you're holding, no matter what narcissism is filling you, no matter how many words on your paper are blurred, no matter how many blessings you have, and how well life is going. Every day is a fresh start with Jesus. God, could you help us make a fresh start into something that we know something about, but not nearly enough, into a resurrection life, and understand that if we're going to be resurrected, we have to die first. God, why not help us make a fresh start, a resurrection life, and then, if you help us make a fresh start, and if we enter into resurrection life, then then your people, in the middle of whatever they're going through, In the middle of a divorce, memories of failure this past week, financial struggles, in the middle of great blessings, in the middle of a real sense of stability in your Christian life, if the resurrection life begins, then your people are going to laugh and sing, and it's going to come out of their depths. It's going to be a, a spiritual belly laugh as opposed to a contrived laugh. As I speak, I once in a while say something that has some humor to it, and you're kind enough to know that I think it's funny, and therefore you laugh like you're doing now just a little bit, not quite enough. (laughs) There you did it. Thank you. But wouldn't it be something if he laughed, not just because the speaker was funny, but if he laughed because we were dancing with the Spirit? Wouldn't that be something? God, would you help us make a fresh start? Into a kind of life that the cross makes possible, into a resurrection life, so we can we can shout, and we can laugh, and we can sing. I want to introduce the rest of what I have to say this morning by inviting you to ask a question, and I ask you to take the question very seriously. And, And the question is this: What do you really want? Ask yourself this: Do I want revival? Now, I don't mean the kind that you schedule for August 25th, not the kind that you orchestrate by getting the revival of speaker and getting an incredible band that gets you all stirred up. But ask a question, do I want revival, Holy Spirit revival, in this community that's broken and wounded? Do I really want revival in this community that has a price? because the revival that comes from the Spirit begins by reaching deep into my heart and helping me see how I suffer from an illusion of adequacy, helping me see how I fail my wife, helping me see how I I, I long for what I can't have, and reaches deep into my heart to expose my desires that will not be fulfilled until heaven, my sin that will not be overcome until heaven fully. Do I want a revival that is going to wound me before it heals me because death precedes resurrection, and And do I really want a revival where the Holy Spirit actually escorts me toward life on a very narrow road? Brokenness that squeezes all the false life out of me to make space for resurrection life. Is that what you want? Or? There's a part of us that wants something else. I don't doubt that many of us in this room want that, but think about a second question. Is what I do I mystify in revival and the Holy Spirit of God working in terms of really wanting a successful church? Not a reviving church, but a successful church. With a pastor, I really can't wait to hear every Sunday with a worship leader whose talents, whose talents stir me with a staff and elder board who has the wisdom to provide leadership with which I agree. It took a little too long to get that. Am I really after a successful church measured by, by growing attendance, good attendance this morning? Hey, we're on the move. It'll be better next week. Let's pray. Generous offerings, are those good things? Of course they are. We need money to pay the bills. And 20 some grand was raised last week for a deacon's fund, and we're right to say, Yay, God. But suppose nobody gave. Well, I guess we're a failure. Do I really want a successful church with thriving programs so every need is met? Is that really what I'm really after? Or do I want a reviving church? And I wonder what a reviving church would look like that might differ from a successful church. It's a hard question. Now, asking you those questions leads me to wanting you to ponder one more verse. That's a prayer for revival from Psalm 80 and verse 18. This is from the message where the psalmist prays a very interesting prayer. He says, God, would you, would you breathe life into our lungs? so that we can shout your name. You see, when revival takes place, there is some shouting, there is some singing, there is some laughing, there is some joy, there is some hope, no matter what you're going through. Revival doesn't always change your circumstances. That isn't the point of revival. We can get in the way of revival. We can't orchestrate orchestrate it, but we can sometimes get in his way. Is God going to breathe life into our lungs so that we can end up shouting his name from the depths of our being? Is he going to do that if what we're really down deep wanting is a successful church? Or is it possible that we can prepare ourselves for whatever God wants to do in our midst by realizing from the center of our hearts We're not after a successful church, we're after a reviving church, and we're willing to pay any price to move into the mystery of the Spirit's work in whatever direction He wants to lead, and that leadership may take us to a church of burgeoning membership, maybe 10,000 people, and building a far bigger building, and and having programs that reach across the world that meet every need in the church, and if that happens, I say praise the Lord. But is it also possible that we're willing to pay the price of revival if it means we shrink the 10 people who are broken, humble, and joyful? I believe that we have a better chance as a church to become successful if we follow one of the wrong agendas. Churches that want to be successful have a better chance of success if they devote their primary energy to helping people make their lives better. Not to be concerned with what's going on in the depths of the human soul in relationship with God, but let's see if we can't cosmetically rearrange lives a little better. So let's, let, let's focus on good teaching on marriage, good teaching on relationships, good teaching on parenting. Let's focus on all these good things, but let's never deal with the deepest part of our souls. And if we focus on all these good things to become a successful church, we're in danger of becoming Laodicea. But a church has a better chance of success if that church mobilizes its resources to to change the world, to become missional and make that our core value, that we're going we're to stand against evil, we're going to fight for the oppressed, we're going to include the marginalized, we're going to devote our best energies to getting the right person in the White House, and we're all going to agree on who that is. And we're going to learn what it means to be kind to people, whether it's a checkout clerk or a waitress or a taxi cab driver, we're going to learn how to represent Jesus in the world and become missional, and that's going to become our core value, which is a good thing. They're all good things, but if a church centers on changing the world, I don't think it's a church. It's an agent of cultural change. It's not all bad, but don't call it a church. This church isn't aiming at ultimately changing the world or making life better. Something better has evolved. Success is easier to achieve if we focus on saving lost souls. Let's let's get this church moving now in the direction of evangelism and, and let's see what method of evangelism best suits our culture. And if some of the older styles still work, like evangelism explosion that I mentioned last week from D.J. G James Kennedy… a a good method, if you will, with good questions to ask that have led many people to Christ? Well, let's do that. Let's get Bill Bright's Four Spiritual Laws, and and let's realize that God has blessed that particular method of evangelism. Let's let's get hold of some more modern methods of evangelism. Some of the postmodern churches are are working in 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 different styles of relational evangelism, like Jim Henderson, a man I had breakfast with last Monday morning, the author of the book with uh, Matt Casper called Jim and Casper Go to Church where Jim invited an atheist named uh, Matt Casper to visit with, with him at 11 churches and uh, said, I want to know how a person doesn't even believe there's a God, let alone in Jesus, how he reacts to the churches in America today. So he took Matt Casper to 11 churches. And at the end of his visiting 11 churches, Matt turned to Jim. Matt, the atheist, turned to Jim, the former pastor, the evangelist Christian, and he said this to him. He said, I've seen 11 churches, some flagship churches, Is this what Jesus told you guys to do? Well, maybe we need to change our method of evangelism. All good things. Let's think about how to reach the lost, of course. But if a church centers on evangelism as opposed to the spiritual health and the depths of its members, the church will become weak from a diet of milk and not much meat. Church will become weak. Notice something important about these three whys that I talked about last week. Make life better, change the world, save lost souls. We can do all of those things with some hope of becoming a successful church, but we can do those things without ever facing what is least lovely in us in the presence of what is most wonderful about God. I've had a bit of a tough week. I couldn't stand before you today if it weren't for grace. In other weeks, I felt that I could. Isn't that silly? But God in His grace has allowed certain things this week to make me very aware that there's some parts of me that are very unlovely. Brokenness is such a joyful thing if it moves you away from self-obsession so obsession with the God who loves us at our least lovely. Understand this, and it's an important point the leaders and the members of a successful church, not a reviving church, but the leadership, the staff, the elders, and the members of a church committed to success, as America defines success, they, they never really have to descend into the depths of brokenness in order to rise to the heights of holiness. What's a church all about? Success or revival? We can become a successful church without ever becoming a revived church. Is that what you want? What's a revived church look like? And again, I don't want to put that in in an accomplished tense, a revived church, but a reviving church. What's a reviving church look like? Let Let me suggest very simply three marks of revival, three evidences that a church is experiencing the outpouring of the Spirit of God and that what God said through Zechariah, that I will pour my Spirit of grace upon you. Is that what you want? And if he does, it's going to be, is it going to be a successful church or is it going to look different? And let me suggest that as the Spirit of God does his deepest work, if that's what he chooses to do and it's his sovereign choice, it's not our decision, it's his. At least three things are going to become clear. Three things are going to be evident. First is this, that revival revives a community, not just individuals. We need each other. Revival revives a community. It isn't that I go home and get revived and wonder why you didn't, and then become more judgmental in my elitism and superiority. That isn't revival. Revival is when a community together is on their face. Revival is when a community together is just aware that I need Christ like I've never needed Him before. You see, you don't get saved because of grace and then continue by working hard. Revival makes it clear in a community of God's people that sanctification, the growth, that nearness to God, as one theologian put it, I think I might have mentioned this last week, that sanctification is the art of getting used to justification. I was actually justified when I was eight years old. Fifty-five years later, I'm just getting used to the idea that I'm really justified, even in spite of the fact that I don't deserve a bit of it. Because I still sin. Revival revives a community, not just individual. It transforms a gathering of Christians into a church. Secondly, revival, as I've already mentioned, wounds before it heals. What do I mean by wound? I don't mean that revival means disaster will befall you. May it, may not. That's God's call too. Whether you'll get cancer and die whether you'll be very healthy and live to a ripe old age and die peacefully in your sleep and go home to heaven. That's my vote, but God doesn't include me in the Trinity's decisions somehow. He hasn't asked my advice for a very long time. What's it mean to be wounded? It doesn't mean bad things will happen. They may, they may not. But wounding essentially means this. i become more preoccupied with my failures than yours. I've been mistreated. (laughs) Some people have offended me. And when they do, it's all I can think about. When the Spirit works, it's not all I can think about. What I think about is how unlike Christ I am in my response to their ill treatment of me. And I become wounded. And I cease to fight for personal justice. And I long to be more like Jesus in the middle of whatever. The wound of recognizing, I'm just not much like him, but boy, do I want to be. And then thirdly, revival opens our eyes. and This is the most exciting part, it opens our eyes to see the real world. Remember what Lewis called this world when his wife was suffering with cancer? He said, honey, we're living in the shadowlands. My mother-in-law was told about how many years ago, eight or nine years ago, that one of her three sons-in-law had just died. Her, Her sentence was, isn't it something? There seems to be more people now on the other shore than on this one. I think her eyes were open. There's another world, another shore. Revival opens our eyes to see another world and it opens our ears to hear the laughter and the music that's going on right now in the other world. In all my years as a follower of Jesus, and all the time I've spent looking at Scripture, the most stunning glimpse of reality I've ever seen just a little of, the most stunning glimpse of reality anyone can ever see in this life is that right now there's a party going on. And the party is God. He's a party happening. He's a small group. And unlike every other small group, they get along really well. And the most thrilling discovery that I'm making, by God's grace, the most thrilling discovery anybody can ever make is to realize that we've been invited to the party. And the most most amazing truth anyone can ever trust in is that the price of admission to that party is more than we can ever pay. But it's already been paid in full. Nothing more for me to do except say, thanks a lot. I worship you. And the most enlivening opportunity that I've ever discovered, and I'm discovering a little bit more every day, the most enlivening opportunity that anyone can ever seize is the chance The opportunity in the middle of the divorce, in the middle of the cancer diagnosis, in the middle of the lost job, in the middle of wonderful blessings, in the middle of enjoying your grandkids, in the middle of good times, bad times, the most enlivening, where we begin to shout and sing and dance, the most enlivening opportunity anybody can ever seize is the chance to hear the music from the party now. Can you hear the music? What does that mean? Is that just kind of a sweet thought? Most enlivening opportunity I've ever seen is to be able to hear the music and start dancing now. I wonder if I'll hear the music when my wife flies back in the Denver plane, arrives at one o'clock, and I'll see her about three o'clock. I wonder if I'll hear God's music and dance into her life as I greet her. I can do that because I'm adequate in Christ, but I got to hear the music because I usually dance to the wrong tune the tune of, I hope you greet me well, honey. I hope you're a little more concerned with how my morning went than how your weekend went. I hope when you greet me, you don't start talking about the board meeting you were at. I hope you first start saying, Larry, what happened this morning at Lookout? If I dance to that music, I'm dancing to the music of hell. And I'm going to dance like hell. I don't want to do that. You and I can never make a revival happen. But if we're talented enough and if things go our way, we can make a church successful. But when we do, we discover our successful church really isn't a church at all. We may have a powerful pastor, a gifted worship leader, an exciting and moving weekend event, a a solid grasp of doctrine even, a vast array of helpful programs, a, a mission focus that reaches into our culture and across the world, all that's possible without revival. Because it's possible in the middle of all that that we remain self-protective, self-justifying, self-motivated in our depths, even while we raise our hands in worship, even while we thrill to eloquent preaching, and even while we involve ourselves in lots of Christian activity. Only in revival does a gathering become a church. Wouldn't be something... All the good things that have happened in Lookout Mountain for so many years took the next step. With gratitude for all the ways God has blessed. What would it mean to get our sights really clear and move on with an openness to what God could do more deeply perhaps than ever before? Could we actually become A phrase that was suggested to me this week by a dear friend. Could we actually become a community of truth? Let me suggest four marks of a community of truth. A community of truth is rather obviously, firstly, a community that's truth hungry, not experience dependent. A community that says God has spoken and he's spoken in 66 love letters and man, do I want to know what he said. What's he saying, Obadiah? What's he saying in Revelation? What's he saying in this book? So we get together to study the Bible. We become a Bible-centered, a book-centered community more than we'd ever been perhaps because we're so hungry for truth. And because we're hungry for truth, we depend more on what God says than on what we experience of Him. My father died at age 89 several years ago. At age 79, he had open heart surgery and it went very badly. It turned out well eventually, but a lot of complications. As I drove him home from the hospital after a two or three week stay, he was in the back seat. mom was in the front and dad in his weakness recovering from a major, major open heart surgery. He said this as we were driving along quietly. He said, you know, Larry, I'm so grateful for all the visitors that came to my hospital room during the three weeks that I was there, two weeks, but the one visitor I wanted to come never came. I said, who? He said, God. I said, what? He said, I prayed for a sense of His presence, and I never had it. I never had one sense of His presence in all the agony that I went through, and I'm so grateful. I said, do you want to help me with that? And he said, oh, Larry, don't you know? He gave me the privilege of trusting in his word without the experience of his felt presence. I think he enjoyed that. Because he, he let me trust what he says. To believe it, even when it doesn't feel real to me. It's called faith. Truth hungry, not experience dependent. A community of truth, secondly, is formation focused. God, are you forming me in my depths to be like Jesus? Paul was in the pains of childbirth until Christ was formed in the people that were missing the truth of the gospel in so many ways. Are we formation focused in our depths, or are we satisfied with well-done events and strong personalities? And come away from great events, Excited and motivated, and and knowing a little more about God, and not changed from our self-centeredness very much at all. Reformation-focused or event and personality-driven. Thirdly, a mark of a community of truth is we're community alive, and not simply superficially connected. It's so easy in a church, particularly a church of any size, to superficially connect. How's it going? Good to see you. Hey, you're looking good. You lost some weight, did you? Hey, say it again. Yeah. How are the kids? Doing pretty well. Heard your daughter went off to college. How's it going? Super. Hey, praise the Lord. We call it fellowship. And it's part of fellowship. Nothing's wrong with that. What would it mean to be alive in community? Irenaeus, the old theologian, said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. What's that mean? Fully alive requires that I acknowledge my helplessness and and the fact that without him, I'm just nothing. And can I be with a small group of people who get to know me really, really well and know that I'm just a mess, but I'm a saved mess. And when they see me at my worst, they don't go, yuck. When they see me at my worst, they say, isn't Jesus something? Because he still likes you a lot and he still believes in you. That's a community alive where we're free to look bad in the presence of love, his love. And lastly, a community of truth is mission overflowing, not mission obsessed. So often we feel pressure to be involved in mission. After I met with Jim Henderson on Monday morning who was talking about his style of evangelism to notice people and, and to pray behind their backs and listen to people and not start off with, you're going to hell, trust Jesus. Hopefully getting there. But maybe starting with actually caring a little bit about who they are. And a Jim focused on that. I went and got a haircut after I was done and a woman cut my hair. I don't like calling people to cut my hair a stylist. She was a barber. She cut my hair and she asked me, you off work today? It was Monday morning. And I said, well, I got a bit of a strange job. What do you do? I'm a psychologist. You're a psychologist? I said, Yeah. She said, can I talk to you? So I thought, well, manage your scissors, lady. And she talked to me about some struggles in her life and she cut my hair for about an hour and a half so we could have the full session. <laughs> and, and thanks to my conversation with Jim, I, I didn't feel a pressure to make anything happen. I just found myself caring about this lady. See, there's a little bit of mission overflowing there as opposed to, I've got to get this right. I was aware there really is a God who loves this woman. And I didn't quote witness to her, but I'll, get, I'll let her cut my hair again. We'll see if we can get around to that. When I left, I said, would you mind if I prayed for you?" And she went, yeah, that'd be good. That's a start. Community of truth. So why church? What church do I want to be a part of? You know, I don't want to be a part of a church that tells me how I can make my life better. That's not what Christianity is all about. Christianity is all about knowing God in the middle of life as it is. I don't want to be a char- involved in a church that gets me zeroed in on how I can change a world because Second Peter tells you he's going to burn it up anyhow. I want to do what I can. My goal is to know God better and then whatever happens from that, what I want to see happen. I don't want to be involved in a church that defines the Christian life as saving lost souls. I don't want to come to a church Sunday morning and feel like I'm coming to Mount Sinai where I've got to tremble and be, feel pressured. And I want to come to Mount Zion where there's a party going on. That's in Hebrews 12. I want to come to the, to the festive gathering of angels and saints, my mom, my dad, my brother, my grandparents, others that have gone before that are on that shore. I want to come to Mount Zion where there's a party happening. I want to come to a church that helps me hear the music through the word and prayer where I actually have a conversation with God and actually hear him two-way. And I want to come to a church where I can hear the music in a community where I can tell you where I really am and not pretend and you'll still sing over me with delight like Jesus does. Here's my last thought. I want to come to a church that sees itself as a dance studio. But we can't dance till we hear the music. We're not gonna dance very well until we know that laughter's coming. As we learn to dance to the Spirit's rhythm through all the hard times, could we actually dance in the middle of a divorce? Could we dance in the middle of cancer? Could we dance in the middle of a lost job? Impossible unless we hear the music. Make life better, change the world, save lost souls, all good things, but it all depends on hearing the music. And so, like Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, we wait in the wardrobe. We play in the house during the week. We go to work. We meet our friends. We pay our bills. We go to the dentist. Then we gather together in the wardrobe called the church until we feel the wind of revival coming into the wall behind us that somehow magically opens up into the real world where land is on the move even in the middle of hard times. So I leave you with a question. What do you want? Do you want a reviving church? Perhaps a church that looks different than everything you've ever imagined the church to be? Do you want a reviving church, a church where your failures become a doorway into the presence of Christ? Or do you want a successful church, bigger and better than ever, where all the good things that churches do become so noisy that you can't hear the music, and you never learn how to dance? Ask the question as you continue at Lookout Community Church. Brian? Just one more second. He said there's no more transitions. There is one more. This is my last Sunday. (laughs) And uh, even though I won't be preaching here again, maybe for a bit, but uh, I want you all to know my heart is with you. It really, really is. And there's just a verse I want to leave you with in Hebrews 12. The writer tells us that God disciplines us for our good, and now listen to this phrase: that we may share in His holiness. I hope you spend some time unpacking what that might mean, because that's the central point of church. We might share in His holiness, and I told Captain James, who I'm just so thrilled when they lead us in worship here, that uh, whatever they do, don't not sing that last song because it gives us a chance to express that there is life within us. Now we're going to fly away someday. But until we fly away, let's stay faithful, and may God pour out His understanding of what real blessings are on this church. Thank you for the great privilege of being with you for a couple of Sundays.